Our next uh, lecture is on uh, medical photography and dermatology. Um, Bill Whitmer is a professional medical photographer and director of the Dermatrack Skin Imaging Centers, a specialized vision, or division of Canfield Scientific, providing total body photography to patients with melanoma and dysplastic nevi. His base of operation is the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, but provides his service across 15 states. Bill's prior work experience was at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, where for 25 years he served as the served at this director of clinical photography in the dermatology department. Bill has been published and lectured extensively on subjects of clinical photography and total body photography. He is well-recognized expert in the field of total body photography. And this is a very great um, subject. I certainly, a new job that I just went to last year actually has a photographer on site, and boy, it makes a huge difference. So I'd like you to welcome uh, Bill. Thank you. Um, if I step away from the mic, is my external mic on? Okay, thank you. All right, um, I'd like to thank you all for inviting me to speak today on clinical photography. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some standard photography methods that we employ, and then at the end we'll talk a little bit about some of the new advances, some of the new technology. So. Um, just as a disclosure, I'm a full-time employee of Canfield Scientific. Um, so why should we care about clinical photography? And basically it boils down to we have the ability to capture in a visual format the actual condition of the skin. And that skin, whether it's a dermatologic condition or whether we're documenting somebody who's about to undergo some cosmetic service or possibly surgery, and even right down to documenting um, patients in clinical trials. So it's really important. These are some examples of you know, the type of clinical photography that you could encounter in a practice. In the upper left there, a, a, a giant congenital nevi. On the lower left, you have uh, the dermoscopy views that we see, the clinical on the left there, and then the actual dermoscopy view um, looking deeper into the skin surface, cosmetic documentation here in the lower right, and of course another derm condition up here, dermofibromatosis. I always get that one. That was a tough one for me. But anyway, these are just some of the conditions that we document in, our, in the course of, of seeing patients in a practice or as I did for my 25 years at Penn, um, being that photographer who was responsible for documenting everything that went on. Okay, so let's just talk briefly about camera selection. I won't spend a lot of time on this because in a lot of cases, the cameras are already in place. Uh, so you basically have to deal with what you've been given. Um, two different types that we'll often see, the point and shoot as I call them, the very basic consumer digital camera, and then we go to a more professional style. This happens to be the Nikon D80 or D90, uh, a more professional style camera. The problem that started or, or we encountered when people went to switch to digital was they didn't want to pay the price for these, these more professional cameras. So throughout their career, uh, they were using film style um, SLR type cameras and then when the digital evolution came to be why well, they switched over but they weren't willing to pay the price. So they bought point and shoot style cameras and were, were very disappointed. So the prices have come down just like all the technology and they're very reasonable. Now a camera like this can be had for under a thousand dollars and this is I think this is a 12 megapixel camera. So again as as we advance in the technology, the prices come down. Okay, so just a couple things about camera accessories, specifically lens selection, if you have that option. 
if you're given the choice to buy a camera, uh, think about the, uh, the more professional SLR camera. Uh, unfortunately, the feedback I get from a lot of people is I'll, I don't want to hand a, ca a complicated, complicated camera like that to my assistant in derm surgery. And, and in my point of view is I think it's less complicated than the point-and-shoot style cameras. So uh, one of the things that you want to think about is that you buy a fixed focus lens as opposed to a zoom lens. Another thing that you should think about is buying a micro or macro lens that is meant for doing close-up photography. Um, autofocus versus manual focus. In my career, because I had to take everything, pigmented lesions, acne, psoriasis, I was a professional photographer used to manually focusing a camera. I have stuck by that. I recommend it. But again, with so much of the photography and derm practices now being cosmetically related, doing a lot of facial photography, you get a lot of contour of the face, so oftentimes the autofocus will work well. Obviously, with the point-and-shoot cameras, you don't have that option. They're all autofocus. But I would recommend, if you're using the more professional camera, that you go with the manual focus. Okay, uh, I'm sorry, I jumped right, or very too, a uh, little too quick there. Uh, body focusing the stance. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit later when I talk about body focusing. Uh, but basically, you know, you often see somebody standing there with a camera like this. And you're not real stable in that position. And so we generally recommend that, you know, like, like all things that are somewhat, well, photography, I don't know, would be called athletic. If you go through the series of ups and downs and kneeling that I do through a course of, of photographing a patient for total body photography, I would call it athletic because I'm probably up and down, up and down four times because my point is to be perpendicular to the body part that I'm photographing. So I do back, buttocks, the back of the thighs, the calves, and then the chest, abdomen. So I'm up and down. So my theory on this or as medical photographers or photographers in general is that you should establish sort of what we call an athletic stance, and that is that one foot in front of the other. I'll talk about body focusing later. I talk about moving the camera back and forth, okay? It's easier for you to be in this stable position, just sort of rocking back and forth, as opposed to standing there with your feet side by side and trying to lean in and out, okay? So just keep that in mind uh, when you're doing your photography. This is an example of the wrong lens on the left here, you, you see we have a focal length lens of about 35 millimeters, considered wide angle. And then this is our typical portrait lens at 105. Obviously, you're getting distortion on the left uh, image there because of the wide angle. So make sure that you're buying a lens that is designed for what, what you know, the, the purpose is, and in this case, clinical photography. Okay. Now, um, again, we go back to this. Uh, body focusing, and then move on to uh, flash on the camera and off the camera. I'll talk about this a little later as well, but all these cameras, whether it be the point-and-shoot style camera or the professional camera, all have onboard flash. Uh, you do have the option in many cases of being able to put an external flash onto these or sync them up to studio lights. So certainly, there are advances as you are willing to spend the money on flash accessories for their camera, and you get, tend to get better results. Tripod versus or, or mono stand, again, this depends on how um, comfortable you are with handling a camera. Do you need it on a tripod? Can you hand hold it? Uh, that's really something that you have to practice and get comfortable with, okay? And then fixed distance devices such as these two. Uh, these are our, our uh, distance scales that attach to the front of the camera. These provide you with a standardized distance. If you're doing, say, a lot of pigmented lesion photography and you want to have a standardized picture of the lesion, no matter when the patient shows up in the office, then you might want to consider one of these distance scales. Okay, and they give you this kind of result, usually uh, that little uh, piece on the end here is what you're seeing right here, okay? So it gives you a standardized distance and standardized magnification. Now, 
few things about camera setup. Um, for one thing, they, all these cameras have the ability for you to set the date and time on these cameras, and that's a nice feature, and it's something that is linked to every or tagged to every one of your digital images. The nice thing about that is if you, say, go an entire week before you clear the card on the digital camera, and you sit down at the end of the week and you go, oh my gosh, who are all these people? At the very least, you can refer back to the date and time stamp that's on a digital image and figure out what day they were taken, okay? Um, I'll give you a little tip on, uh, on a practice that we use, or I use, to, uh, to make sure that I, I don't have any mistakes as to who's who on, a, on, a, uh, on the card. Check the battery is the next thing that you want to do. We generally recommend that you have a second set of batteries available, or if it's a rechargeable, that you have a second rechargeable battery in the, in the recharger. And you want to format the, the memory card on a weekly basis. Just like a computer, these little cards can get corrupt. So we, rec you know, we recommend you reformat that. Just keep in mind that when you do reformat it, you're going to lose that data that's on that card. Okay. Um, a couple tips for these point-and-shoot cameras because they are very popular. One of them is turn off the digital zoom. Most of these cameras come through with both optical and digital zoom. You don't need the digital zoom. You know, there's plenty. The optical is basically the capability of the zoom lens. That's plenty of zoom. The digital is, is essentially a hocus pocus. It's software that's adding pixels to the pictures. It makes you think that you're getting a higher resolution picture when indeed that is not the case. So turn off that digital zoom. For close-ups, rather than step in, step back. Step back and zoom in, okay? The reason that I, I recommend this is that all cameras that have onboard flash work through the electronics of the camera to give you correct exposure. So the, when you press the shutter release, the flash goes out, hits the subject, comes back to the camera, and at that point, the camera determines proper exposure and shuts the strobe down. Okay, but if you're too close, it's not giving it time to react. So that's why we say step back, give that camera time to work when that flash goes out. Depress the shutter halfway and wait for focus. This, you know, like I said, this is the point and shoot style cameras. Um, usually they have an audible feature or a, a light up, you know, a little light that glows when you have uh, focus confirmed. So uh, make sure that you uh, get that frame tightly on the subject. This is an example of a somewhat worthless picture in my, I'm, there's a lot of problems in this picture, but the primary problem is you're too far away. There's too much going on. You know, there's background stuff going on here. Why not go for this as your location photo, you know, zoom in, and then this as your detail photo to show you that aphthous ulcer on the tongue. Okay, so don't be afraid to step in and, uh, and uh, zoom in on the subject. Um, hold with two hands steady or put on. We talked about this earlier. You know, if you're comfortable with hand holding the camera, then do so. If not, then, then get a tripod or, or something to lean on and steady yourself. And, of course, flash on. A lot of people will say to us, well, why can't I take pictures with the available lights in the room? It's bright enough. Well. It, it's bright enough, but unfortunately, the camera has to read and give you proper exposure. What you may not know is that it's prolonging the shutter speed so that the shutter is open for a longer time, or time to get a, the proper exposure, and now you bring, in two, uh, you bring camera shake into the equation, and you also bring available light into the equation. Okay, so both of these could influence the sharpness of your photo and also the color correctness of your photo. So we recommend you always use the flash on these cameras. And there's a way, this is the back of that Canon camera I showed earlier. Uh, they usually have a feature that allows you to toggle through auto flash off or on. And so we recommend that you keep it on. And of course, what's the most important button on the digital cameras? The playback button. For those of you who have never used a film camera, you don't know what it was like to wait a week for Kodak to send your film back so that you could find out that you blew the whole picture. And I've done it. 
I was sent out to one of the hospitals in the Philadelphia area very early in my career. The film never went through the camera. And it was one of the first dysplastic nevive patients that we had ever seen when I was working with Dr. Clark. So believe me, I have had my trials and tribulations. So for you to have this feature when you can immediately look at the result is just incredible. I mean, I'll be honest with you, when I left Penn in 2003 to join Canfield, I have not picked up a film camera since that time. Now granted, I have the best of the best digital cameras at my fingertips, but still, I, it's amazed that I've made that transition so quickly. Okay, now, what is the key to consistency in your clinical photographs? Standardization. Standardization produces consistency in your photography. Here's an example of two different uh, photographs taken at different time points of a young woman who presented for rhinoplasty. And I'll show you the profile of you in a few minutes here. But, but what, what I want to point out here is that there's consistency right across the board. You know, the, the, the size of the head is approximately the same or almost identical. The background is, is a very close shade. The lighting, look at her eyes here. This is, a, this is a key to looking at whether somebody has manipulated a photograph, is to look where the reflection of the flash is in their eyes. If it's, if it's in the eyes on one, not in the other, you know that they've messed with it somehow to get a different effect. So all of this leads to good, consistent clinical photography that is credible, okay? Again, in a clinical trial that we did uh, on the left, psoriasis plaque on the right some 60 days later, but it's believable, you know. There's no doubt that this is a, a good result. Okay. Now, three keys to consistency. The first of them being the imaging equipment, you know, your camera, your lighting should remain the same. Now, granted, you know, with, the, with digital cameras changing every six or eight months, I can understand that maybe somebody decides that, well, I want a new camera, so now we have to incorporate that. But you want to try and maintain that. Secondly, you want to make sure that your poses are identical from your pre-op or your pre-surgical you know, uh, uh, to your post-surgical must be identical. And then this is an example of um, posing devices, you know, a chin rest and a, and a forehead rest. Again, two different time points here on this lady who came in for uh, cosmetic services of the face. This is a little tip if you're doing a lot of facial photography. They call this the Frankfurt line, and it's basically a line that connects uh, from the bottom of the eye socket to the tragus of the ear. So basically, you know, if you think about that, excuse me, I hope I didn't uh, zap somebody with that. Uh, but if you think about, you know, your head tipped down or your head tipped up, that, that line is going to change. So you want to keep that, if you're doing a lot of facial photography, it's a little tip for keeping, you know, standardizing your poses and, and keeping your, your views uh, aligned properly. Okay. Here's another example of two different views, but the nice thing about this is that with these cameras, we have such good high resolution that instead of taking a second photo, zooming in, we can use this, the software to actually capture that area or crop that area out of and then produce a new photograph. So take advantage of the software that you're using as well. Uh, these cameras are, are just phenomenal in their resolution and even the original six megapixel cameras that came out were adequate for what we really need to do. Now we're up to 15 uh, and beyond for a lot of these cameras. So uh, take advantage of those things. Uh, just an example of, again, good before and after, almost identical photos other than this blemish. So you know that some time point, uh, some time as it has uh, transpired between these two. Third, uh, the peripheral um, aspects, including the background, clothing, etc., should be consistent. Uh, here's the profile view of the young woman who presented for rhinoplasty. And again, you know, consistency right across the time points to the point where, you know, headband to pull the hair back, obviously she's had 
multiple earrings that she wears. We've asked her to remove those so that your attention is focused immediately onto the clinical condition. Photorune, if you're so uh, blessed, I guess you would say, to have a dedicated photo room, uh, this would be sort of a, a good setup. Um, lights mounted on the wall. These, of course, would be studio lights, uh, a tripod, or some kind of device back here to hold the camera in the, in the uh, um, photographer's position. And the patient position is here, usually on a staging mat of some sort. And I'll show you an example of that later. But in the ideal world, you know, we would love to see everybody have a photo room that they can utilize. Uh, you want to set that photo room up with neutral colors. You don't want to paint it any bright colors. Um, you want to make sure that if there are windows in the room that you cover those so that you uh, don't have afternoon sunlight streaming in there and in influencing uh, the exposure of your photos. Um, you also want to have an appropriate backdrop. We generally recommend a light blue uh, is a good choice. Make sure it's a fabric drape or something that is non-reflective. Um, an example of that is, is uh, this blankie, as we call it, uh, that is available through Canfield. Uh, this is a doctor's office in the Philadelphia area where he wanted to sort of spiff it up a little. So he had a cabinet maker frame it and mount it on the wall. This is the posing that I talked about earlier for the patient so he or she knows their positions. Um, this is an example of um, paper background that is on a roll attached to the wall and can be pulled down. And the patient stands either on the paper or on a posing stage such as this. Nice balanced studio light here. Okay, then we want to think about preparing the patient. Now that we have the room prepared, we have the camera selected, let's think about preparing the patient, all right? So, jewelry, clothing, makeup, and other distractions should be removed or draped. Uh, this is an example of Haley Haley, but you know, unfortunately, your attention is immediately focused on, you know, the dress, whereas this is a presentation that takes your eye immediately to the problem. Okay, so you want to make sure that you remove any distracting elements out of the photograph. Here's another example. Look at the difference between makeup and non-makeup, okay? A lot of patients don't, and I happen to, to hear this quite often. My wife works in a med spa. The patients come in. They don't want to remove their makeup. What they did to solve this was they had one of their estheticians take a course in makeup, and so they will offer to have the esthetician make up the patient after their imaging session. But you can see, you know, this is really giving you an accurate idea of what the skin condition of the patient is, not this. Okay. Use headbands to clear the patient's hair away from the face. You might want to consider modesty garments if you're doing body photography or body sculpting, that kind of thing. Uh, this is an example of a modesty garment that we use uh, with my patients. So what's the point of all this effort? The point is to focus the attention of the viewer, whether it be the patient or the medical professional, such as yourself, directly to the clinical condition. Again, something that we hear all the time from our clients are you know, that they're spending a lot of money or the patients are coming in spending, spending a lot of money on cosmetic procedures, on services, and they're not seeing a difference. And what really sells these people is that when you do baseline photos and then they come back in six months and they say, well, I don't see a difference because they've been looking at the mirror every day. You know, you sit them down, you show them the baseline photographs and like the light goes on, they go, wow, yeah, there is, something's working. So, the point here, you know, in, in trying to, you know, make sure that we take away all these distracting elements, we want to focus your attention on the clinical condition. And this is a perfect example. Your attention is not focused on, on her condition here, these excoriations. You're looking at the bra, you're looking at, at the wire in the background, whereas in this photograph, now your focus is really taken immediately to, excuse me, to her dysplastic nevi. So all these little things that I'm talking about just will make major improvements in your photography. This is the point that I talked about making earlier is bookend your patient's photographs with their name. So 
you know, this is one way or this is the only way to really make sure that you have not made a mistake, you know, with anybody's identity on the phone. So when the patient walks into the room, you photograph their chart, do their clinical images. When they walk out, after you've reviewed them, of course, then you um, take another picture and now you bookend their pictures with their name so you know exactly who it is. All right. Standardize your views. We go back to this image again. Um, two views in, in photography or in clinical photography and they're really all you need. A location view showing where on the body this is and then a detail view showing exactly what the detailed appearance of this is. All right. Tips for standardizing framing. And this is more important with the point-and-shoot stock cameras than it is with the uh, more professional SLR cameras, but uh, we have come up with this concept of what we call fixed effort reference edge using some anatomical part of the body as your reference point. So in this case, if we're looking to document a patient pre-filler or, or pre-Botox, Maybe we decide that the top of the eyebrows is going to give, be our anatomical location so that when we, um, when we look through the viewfinder of the camera, this is what we're seeing. We don't care about this bottom edge, right, but we just use this top edge, the top of the eyebrows, as our reference on that, okay? Other things that we can use are center-oriented framing, such as using midlines of the face or midlines of the body. Uh, here's some other examples of that right down through the, the bridge of the nose, through the middle of the, of the lips, um, you know, through the, the middle of the breast, down through the umbilicus, right down through between the thighs. So these are just center-oriented framing reference points. Keep in mind that if you're doing face and neck imaging, you probably want to have your patient sitting down, whereas if you're doing torso, kind of imaging like this. Obviously, you can't have them sitting, so you're going to have them standing. But again, utilize the center-oriented framing. Another tip, take advantage of what the camera offers you. These grid lines are on uh, that Canon point-and-shoot style camera that you showed. There's a way to turn these on and off. Most of them are probably turned off, so go through the menu and figure out how to turn them on. This is an example of utilizing those grid lines. I just talked about edge-oriented framing, and there we are. We're taking advantage of that line in the viewfinder right across the tops of the eyebrows. This is the Nikon series. When you look through the viewfinder, these are the grid lines you'll see in the Nikon, the D-series, the D-90s, the D-80s, D-200, D-300. Uh, take advantage of those, just like uh, the previous uh, photos with the point-and-shoot, use them as a reference. Here's another one on that young woman with the rhinoplasty. Uh, you know, how nice that, you know, you get this nice circle that goes right around the eye. So another, you know, take advantage of all these little tips and, and, uh, and things that are offered in these cameras to assist you with this. Standardizing your distances now. This is more critical if you're doing uh, pre- or post uh, procedure in cosmetics or what I'm doing in, in total body photography. Um, this is what I call body focusing. I told you I talk about this earlier. These lenses on most 35 millimeter style cameras, especially the micro lenses, have this window on the top of the lens. And most of us are probably going to ignore this window, but it gives us some real nice information. If we decided that all full face photography that we were going to do in a practice was in the portrait format, okay, at a standard distance that we had figured out with our particular camera, and again, I'm talking about the higher end cameras, that all full face photo in the portrait would be at 18 inches. So to, to standardize that for every patient across the board, for every photo that we take, we would set the lens to one and a half feet, or 18 inches. And then we would body focus. And again, I go back to that athletic stance. You get the camera up and posed. You get your patient in their position on the posing mat. And then you get within two feet of them. Um, let me come back to this. I want to jump to this slide. So this is another recommendation that we may make is if you do have a photo room, but you can also do this in each of your clinical rooms if you set up a back drape maybe on the, on the back of the, 
of the door. Set this up so that the patient has their positioning here. And then these are distances, standardized distances, that allow you to do the different types of photography, such as, we'll talk, I'm talking about 18 inches, gives us full face, ears and hands. So you position the patient here. You move back to this line, which is approximately 18 inches from the patient. And now you basically set your lens at one and a half feet or 18 inches and then you body focus back and forth. Remember I talked about how you rock a little back and forth. And what you're gonna see with practice is that it'll be a little fuzzy, then it'll come into sharp focus. If you go beyond, it'll go out of focus again. What you wanna do is position yourself right at that point of focus, take the picture, and now you've standardized your distance, you standardize your, your photography for full face. So we can do that with every type of photography that we're doing especially if you're involved in plastic surgery or cosmetics, okay? All right, now, uh, here's some other uh, standard views, such as I just talked about, with corresponding feet positions. There's, there's five different positions that we wanna use for doing facial photography. So, uh, you know, uh, utilize those. Uh, focusing aids are very helpful for your patients. Again, this is, if you have um, a, a, studio, a studio or a photo room available to you, we generally recommend that people put focusing aids on the wall so that when your patient is turned, they're focusing on a point. They're not looking around. You know. And then um, when, you, when, they've, when they've got themselves positioned and they're looking in the right place and then you're positioned, you take the picture. Let me go back very quickly to that photo, um, the point and shoot stock cameras are very difficult to standardize because you have no lens reference like you do with the micro lens that I showed you where you can dial it into 18 inches. What we generally recommend, this is the zoom bar on the back of the, of the digital cameras. We generally recommend, and this line is there in most cases, this is uh, the point at which you go to digital zoom to the right of that. So we generally just recommend run that zoom bar up to that line. That becomes sort of your fixed point with that point and shoot style camera and then do your standard views with that in that position. At least that is the one way that we can, we can attempt to standardize those cameras. Okay, now, okay, the importance of lighting that's just uh, get through this pretty quickly here. Just take a look at this photograph for a second. Two different photos taken at different time points. Maybe there's been something done to this patient. But let's talk about the types of lighting. So we have two different types of lighting that we generally run into. Axial, you probably know ring light, the term. It's a little ring light that goes on the front of the lens. Relatively shadowless light goes straight out. It's useful if you're if you're a cardiothoracic surgeon and you're doing you know a lot of photography in the chest. You know, great piece of equipment or a dentist. Uh, but for us, it's not ideal. We'd like to use balanced lighting or cross lighting. It defines skin texture, and it's preferred for most medical photography. It's what I use for all those years. Now, let's look at this again. The one on the left, this is actually a photographic cure. You may have thought, well, this lady had filler. But what in these pictures were taken minutes apart, simply by moving the light source. So cross-lighting the lights coming in from the patients right here, creating a deep shadow or a shadow in this, in this nasolabia fold here. Also notice that you're getting deep shadows here. Whereas now if we move the light around to the front and we bring it straight in, what do we get? What looks like a good result from a filler, but it's not, it's a photographic cure. And the little tips on this, again, you know, I talked about the lights in the eyes. Look at where the shadows are. You can, like I said, you can see deep shadows here. Even look at the big shadow under the lip here. You don't see that shadow in the, the nasal area here, deeper shadow here. So these are little tips for you to look at when you're reading journals and somebody has 
a nice presentation, looks like a good result. You know, look at where the lighting is. Look if they've tried to manipulate. So the different types of lighting, as I mentioned earlier, most of these digital cameras now have their own onboard flash. This is the pop-up flash on the Nikon camera. This is an external flash. And of course, the studio flash down here. These are the different kinds of results that you get from these. Sort of harsh light, a lot of reflection on the pop-up. Better with the external, but obviously the best. But again, we don't expect that everybody's going to have the ability to set up a photo room and have nice studio lighting. So if, if you're going to do one, you know, have the option. Go, at the very least, go with an external light. Uh, the pop-up is giving you good results but just not ideal. The thing that I tell everyone is these point-shoot cameras were designed for the consumer. We're trying to make them a very specialized camera in the medical setting, and it, it doesn't work well. They work okay, but they're not great. All right. Now, just a review of some of the things that we've talked about. Prepare your patient for photography, remove jewelry, clothing, Clear anything that's distracting from the area. It will really enhance your clinical result. Clear the hair from the face, remove the makeup if it's appropriate, and if you need to use a modesty garment, then do so. Minimize distractions for both the patient and yourself. You know, if you, if you, if you have a dedicated photo room, then put a sign on it if you're in there with them. There's nothing worse than somebody knocking on the door you know, needing to come in when you're in the middle of a, of a session. So minimize distractions both for you, the patient, and those distractions in the picture itself. Control the environment. Obviously, it's a concern of mine whenever I'm photographing my patients that they be as comfortable as they can. I don't want to see goosebumps on the, on the, uh, on the photographs because I'm trying to document their mole conditions. So make sure that you try and control the environment. Make the patient as comfortable as you can. Standardize your hardware settings. Use the same set camera settings whenever possible. Make note of any special circumstances. If you do something really unusual, then make a note of it so that you can duplicate it when the patient comes back. Use positioning aids and, of course, practice. That's the biggest thing. You really need to get comfortable with these cameras. If it means getting together with your colleagues, taking time at the end of the day, and practicing, you know, then do so, because that's the only way you're going to get good at it. All right. Now, let's talk a little bit about the new imaging technology that's available out there. And what is the critical component of all these? Tethered capture. This has really sort of revolutionized photography in my mind. I mean, you know, the point that, of being able to see immediate results within seconds after you take a picture is one thing, but now to be able to see that image pop up on a computer is, is just revolutionizing this. Microsoft has sort of thrown a monkey wrench into this because the new, what is it, the new operating system office, or what, no, what is it, seven? They are not um, supporting tethered capture in, in seven. So it's, it's becoming a difficulty for a company like Canfield. Um, I'm not sure what our workaround is going to be, but certainly uh, tethered capture has been a godsend uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it allows you to immediately capture patients' images into the computer right into a chart. So it's, it's just been, been a great achievement. Uh, so the first group of devices that I'm going to talk about are complexion analysis devices. And these are fairly new, several companies in this. They're referred to imaging stations or imaging booths. They're really meant for facial um, documentation. Uh, they're standardized facial positioning systems that utilize ghosting. And when I say ghosting, uh, we also call it match pose. I don't know whether you've seen it in some of these devices where if you do a pre-op or pre-procedure photo on a patient, the patient comes back in six months for a follow-up, that you can bring up that original image and it sort of ghosts it on the screen. And then you can manipulate the patient's head to get it in the identical position so that now you have an absolute duplicate 
of what you did the first time around. So that's called ghosting or uh, match pose. All of these pieces of equipment use multispectral image capture via standard digital camera. I mean, it's amazing what these little things can do. Um, they utilize standard lighting and generally polarized and UV uh, lighting in these boots. Um, you're looking at the skin conditions both on and beneath the surface as a result of these. Uh, it they generally analyze sun damage, pigmentation, redness, pores, wrinkles, evenness, and even porphyrins. And they generate a report that you can send home with the patient with recommendations on products and services that you think will help them improve their facial condition. The players in this, PhotoFinder is one, theirs is called SkinSpector, Profect is in it as well. Johnson & Johnson came out with a piece of equipment called TrueView that is not uh, commercially available. Uh, it's been given over, or it's been handed over to a lot of academic uh, environments. Uh, Brightex Bio, Photonics has one as well. And of course, Canfield has the Vizia booth, which is probably the most popular and, and really started this whole trend um, in conjunction with uh, Oh gosh, now I'm going to blank out on the pharmaceutical company that we, we worked with on this. Um, but anyway, we, we utilize our RBX technology in this. The other one in this is, is Reveal, which is a, a new piece in the line. Uh, we think of Reveal as the Vizia booth without the, the analysis. And this is the, this is the result of now breaking down or going away from the standard UV photography, that sort of hard black and white picture that everybody's familiar with, what we've done is use cross-polarization photography to come up with this kind of result where you're actually breaking out the melanin on the right and the hemoglobin on the left. So you're, a you're able to see acne problems on with, uh, with the, this type of image, uh, telangiectasia, uh, rosacea shows up very well, and then of course over here are your brown spots, which are a result of, of uh, excessive sun exposure. Um, this is the Vizia. You're probably familiar with this. Uh, as I said, uh, it does a quantitative assessment of skin features. It uh, compares that person to their peer group based on their skin, their age, etc. Okay, and, and like I said, it, it uh, produces a client report. Now, and this is uh, an example of one of the client reports with the different uh, things that it, it evaluates, the different skin features. Okay, reveal, uh, again, using just cross-polarized photography for that. Imaging stations is another new product, and these are specifically designed for facial photography. Uh, the preset camera angles uh, for the frontal through full profile views, they use match pose, again, that ghosting feature, and you use balanced standardized lighting. The players in this, again, PhotoFinder, it's the same basic group in all these, PhotoFinder, Profect, and of course Canfield with the Omnia. Uh, and this is the Omnia facial capture device. This arm holds the camera and this basically swivels from profile all the way to the left all the way around to the profile on the right. And I, like I said, it's dedicated for facial, photo, um, facial photography. Total body photography has been around for a long time. It's just been sort of evolving. Um, evolving with both the number of people who believe in total body photography uh, and also the way it's done. Uh, documentation of pigmented lesions, basically giving you a baseline series of photos. It's a series of standardized views. Uh, re resulting product can be a print book or a CD, depending on what the company offers. Some companies are even offering a dermoscopy image as imaging as part of the um, total body photography package, and it is a proven tool for early detection of melanoma. Um, I started photographing patients. Uh, I had the good fortune of, of uh, going into uh, a research lab right out of college, and my boss was Wallace H. Clark, who at that time was the foremost authority in, in melanoma in the world. And he's the one who steered me into photography 
And we started photographing patients back in 1973. And so when I hear from patients that they've called their insurance companies and the insurance companies called it, call it experimental, it just goes right up my spine. I, I just can't believe that, that they don't see the value in this at this point. Um, this is a series of the 27 different views that I do of my patients. Everybody else does similar sorts of things. You know, it's just basically breaking the body down into a number of views and documenting it. Um, the players in this, again, PhotoFinder has their body studio, uh, Profect, their full body system. MoleSafe is the latest in this. They're out of New Zealand and Australia. They're setting up centers in, in this country right now. Uh, they're the ones that are incorporating the dermoscopy into it. They actually uh, do a series of, of uh, total body photog photographs of the entire body, and then they do dermoscopy of many moles. Those, those images are sent off to their expert who writes an opinion about what he sees and makes recommendations back to the referring doctor on what he thinks should be done. Uh, Canfield makes an Antilla studio for anyone who wants to do it in their practice. And then my division is Dermatrack. As I said, I, I see patients in 14 different centers across 15 states. Uh, one of the reasons I'm here in Chicago was yesterday I was imaging over at Northwestern. Uh, Tuesday I was up in Wisconsin. So uh, I, I've really quite honestly enjoyed the transition for me to really focus on what I enjoyed most during my career at Penn, and that was the pigmented lesion clinic and, and total body photography. Um, this is the Intel Studio. It has a couple options as far as cameras that you can put on this. The lighting, it's, it's all self-contained. Not only is it good for doing body photography, whether you're doing total body photography or sculpt or body sculpting, or, uh, but you can also do uh, a lot of good cosmetic work with it as well. Now, probably the biggest thing to come along is 3D imaging. This is really going to be the future of most clinical imaging when it comes to cosmetics or plastic surgery. Uh, it produces an incredibly accurate, visible experience for the patient. I mean, it, it really is. It enhances the communication between the health professional and the patient as far as the outcome. The people who are really taking advantage of this are the plastic surgeons doing breast augmentation. They can now really show a woman what her body will look like with implants without, you know, previously they would have the patient come in, they had implants, they would stuff them into a bra, the patient would redress and then look at themselves in the mirror. Now they can actually see, you know, their chest with implants in place and how it will affect um, the result. Um, it simplifies the consultation, consultation product and the coverage can be anywhere from 180 degrees to 360. By the placement of mirrors and different cameras, you can actually get a 360 view of the patient. The players in this, several of them, 3D MD, Axis 3 Precision Light is the newest one. This product isn't out yet. Of course, Canfield has the Vectra and, and three different versions of the Vectra. This being the top of the line Vectra, which will do imaging of all parts of the body, whether you want to do face or breast or uh, body sculpting, this will do all of them. Uh, plus the, the three modules that allow you to describe breast sculpture, where they're able to actually build a replica of the base of the of the chest wall and then put implants in and then show the resulting effect on the breast. A body sculptor would, is a module, if you're doing body sculpting or face sculpture, which would allow you to simulate fillers, Botox, things like that. And this is just an example of the kind of result that you can get from your 3D imaging. You can really look at that and I can't even show, well, you can see it here, how you can rotate it in every different direction to be able to look at the entire body or the, the, that part of the body that you're, you're imaging. Okay. That is it. I thank you for your time, and we'll open it up to questions.
As you said, the insurance doesn't typically cover the total Correct. body photography. I, I do have a charge? contract with Aetna. Do you? Um, but they're the only ones that, that pay for it. So what do you charge to others then? My fees um, for a series of 27 different views of the body in a print book are $450. If the patient and their doctor are um, okay with just utilizing the images on the CD, then it's $350. Yes? Oh. Um, Sorry. You said there was a standard set of photos that you do for your total body photography. Right. Is that, um, there are some insurances that pay for it uh, where I am. Oh. And I'm wondering if there is, what are, what are the criteria for establishing, you know, being able to bill that, that code? Well, that is there. That's part of the problem is that there is no established criteria. I mean, there was an attempt some years ago by Dr. Halpern, who's at uh, Sloan Kettering, myself, and my colleague who was at NYU at the time, we wrote a paper on standardized views. And we were hoping that the insurance companies would adapt that as the very minimum, but it, it didn't seem to phase them. So I don't, you know, the, the CPT code doesn't describe exactly what their expectations are as far as what they want. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I mean, Aetna approached me very early, you know, when we started Dermatrac, uh, they liked what we were doing, we negotiated a price, um, you know, and they agreed, you know, that they wanted the, the standard 27 different views. Uh, but as far as the others, I, I have heard back from an occasional patient who does get reimbursed, but, you know, it's a battle for them. You know, they. They need letters of medical necessity from their doctor. It has to go three or four times reviewed. So I, I, I can't honestly answer your question. I, I just, you know, for my business, I just feel that I need to document the entire body. And I, I even have had doctors push back saying to me, well, I only want the upper body documented, and, and I won't do that. I mean, I do 27 views of the entire body, I would say that in 98% of my cases, my patients comply with the request that they disrobe completely because we do get moles on every part of our body, and I've just had good success with that. Okay. Thank you. One other question. Uh, we use point-and-shoot cameras mm -hmm. to document, and for the most part, we're documenting individual lesions, right. probably for the most part. Um, in using the macro mode, you know, on these cameras is, is awful. It's, you know, it's not necessarily easy. Yeah. Is there a standardized distance when you're using, uh, we use like a Canon, one of the SD, you know, eight megapixel cameras. Right. Um, is there a standard distance when you're using a macro mode that you would recommend, you know, you, you mentioned about kind of moving back and forth. I think the difficulty I find when I'm trying to autofocus is finding what the sweet spot is for distance to a lesion. Well, and yeah, and this goes back to my comments about manual versus versus autofocus. This, the trouble that you're encountering is that skin is flat. Like I said, you know, when when you get into doing facial photography, there's a lot of contour to the face. But if you're doing a photograph of a pigment lesion on the back, and it's on a very flat surface of the back, and you're trying to get in close. That camera can't differentiate to figure out it needs contrast to get focus or to confirm focus. And that's one of the problems that you're encountering with that. That's why, that, that's why Canfield builds those scales. And those cameras, that, I mean, they, they sell a dedicated camera for that. It's generally a Canon point and shoot. Over the years, it was Nikon's. But now, lately, it's been the Canon camera. It, it's nice. The Canon cameras have a, a mode uh, a specific mode where you can establish a focus distance. And so we build that, or we build that scale to fit into that mode so that you have a standardized distance with that scale. The scale also helps you to stabilize that camera. And that's another, you're trying to handhold that camera. The camera's, you're, you know, you're not absolutely steady. The camera's trying to figure out focus on a flat surface, and so you just have everything against you on that. So I would say that if, if you find that you're doing a lot of that type of photography in a practice, you might want to consider looking at one of those cameras where you can put a scale on it 
and now you've really, you know, taken all those uh, different problems out of the picture, and now you can really get a sharp, pic you know, focus. As you saw in that picture of my hand, you know, how sharp it was, and that's simply because, you know, again, there's contour and contrast of my hand between the fingers, but still, you know, the fact that you can lay that on there, get that camera real steady, you know, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Yes? But when you showed the standard, I, I was at the standard full 27 photos Correct. that you yes. take. Yes. I didn't notice the plantar surface when it's kind of one of the, the Well, the, the palm is included in the view that I do of the legs. And at the end of my series, I generally look at the patient's feet, but I don't necessarily photograph them. If there's, if, if there's a pigmented lesion clinic or a pigmented lesion on the, on the sole of the feet, I will photograph it. But if there's not, then I, I don't. Simply because I, well, I don't know. I've, I've been back and forth on this. It just the way I do it makes this, the process more complicated. Mm -hmm. It means bringing a chair in, having the patient kneel in the chair, because that's the way I do those. And so I'm just trying to look for speed, you know, at, at moving things along. So yeah, I mean, maybe, the only reason why I asked was because of the majority of melanomas on women occur there. So that's the reason why I thought. Yeah. Purpose. Right. Thank you. Yes. I've got more of a uh, kind of a, a comment and a, a question. As far as the the comment, we use very inexpensive Walmart eighty dollar cameras, but we have dermatoscopes and. I found that if you put the camera right up to the mm -hmm. dermatoscope, you can get a very, very high quality picture. Yeah, that I mean, works. It's it's amazing. And and I've even I've even known dermatopathologists who put who, you know just keep a camera beside them at the microscope and put it up against the ocular and get good uh, yeah, pictures that way. Yeah, I've done that, that before too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they were. I mean, the, the cameras are really amazing. I, I mean, like I said, uh, for me to be this far out of film cameras with never touching one again, I mean. Yeah. There's paperweights in the office now. As far as the question, um, for people who do not have numerous dysplastic nevi, in the end, assuming you do a thorough skin exam and you use a dermatoscope, do you really find it really makes a difference? You mean what I do as so, opposed to no, not as far doing? as finding lesions that Absolutely. you wouldn't have otherwise biopsy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've honestly heard back from numerous patients who have said, you saved my life, you know? I, one, of the, one of the things that I do at the end of my series is I look, like I said, I look at the bottoms of the feet. I also look behind the ears. I had a lady that I photographed about three months ago who called me up, and she said, you photographed a lesion on the top of my ear that I didn't know I had. And she said, I brought it to my doctor's attention. I mean, she didn't even have the photographs back, but she went back to her doctor and said, hey, you know, he saw this lesion up here and he photographed it. What do you think? Well, she had had melanoma on the other ear. So they took it off and it was, it was severely atypical. So. I, well, I, I guess what I'm asking is, do, do the ones that draw your attention for the full body imaging, are they lesions that would have fallen through the cracks for a dermatoscope? criteria? I don't, I don't know that I'm the right person to ask because my patients are being referred to me by a dermatologist, so I don't question why they're coming. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that I really understand exactly what you're looking for. No, oh, no, I'm, I'm just, for, I, again, for people who don't have numerous dysplastic nevi, because um, we would get, you know, we'll get patients to request full body right. uh, imaging, and I've had those patients, it, it just seems to sometimes open up a can of worms. They start to worry about every lentigo that then arises on their skin. Yeah, but, uh, okay, I'm sorry. That that by dermatoscope criteria, you know, I, I, we try to reassure the patient that right. everything's okay. But don't you think it's just an additional tool in your oh, toolkit? Oh, no, yeah, no, yeah. I agree that it can be an additional tool, but yeah. if it worries, if you get patients who are overly consumed with those images. I think it's quite, I think it's quite 
the opposite, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think that, you know, and there's a recent paper that was just published as a result of a, of a continued study that Dr. Halpern started at Sloan Kettering in 2000, where they surveyed all the academic environments as to whether, you know, what are you doing about total body photography? And one of, they asked, in addition, are, if you're doing it, why are you doing it? And one of the criteria was that they found that, redu it, that it reduced patient stress level. That once the patient set a ha had a set of photographs, their stress level was reduced because now you have an absolute point. Yeah. You say, it was not there in the photograph, it's there now, so it's new. It was there in the photograph, it hasn't changed, so we shouldn't worry about it. So, I, I view it as just an additional tool to assist the doctors. That's certainly how we used it at Penn for all those years. That continues there, along with many of the other places where it's become very popular. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.